0: What now? Good morning. Well, I have a friend, and my friend's name is Jim. And what you need to know about Jim, Jim is a car guy. You know a car guy? You know a car guy. Good. You see, Jim fixes cars, Jim collects cars, and sometimes... Jim even races cars. Jim is the kind of guy that car collectors in this area call when they need their cars fixed. Jim's that good. Well, I saw my friend Jim this week. About a car issue, imagine that. And he showed me a picture of a local collection that he had been asked to work on. Now, in this picture, there were exotic European cars. There were American classics. And of course, here in the Motor City, there were muscle cars with lots of horsepower. The pictures he showed me were cars that were absolutely stunning. But there was also a problem. The amazing rides were just sitting there. Just sitting there in a warehouse doing nothing. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor. It's still kind of winter out. It's salt all over the roads. The green hasn't come out. That we haven't seen the sun a lot. So, of course, that's where they should be. They should be in a warehouse in this season. Well, in, in a way, you would be right for the time being. But what my friend Jim told me about this collection surprised me. What he saw in that warehouse is all that ever happens to those automobiles. They look amazing. They have great and significant monetary value, but they also rarely move. They just sit there. The truth is they are investments more than they are cars to be driven and cars to be enjoyed. You see, the owner says this monetary value thing is of more importance than experiencing the ride of those automobiles. Now, the truth is the same thing kind of happens in our lives, too. The same thing kind of happens because whether we have a warehouse full of cars or it's something else much more significant, the same thing happens in our lives that sometimes we don't participate in what we were made to do. A car is made to be driven. Some of those driven incredibly fast. But that's not what they're doing. Today we're going to be looking at a familiar portion of Scripture. And Jesus is going to help us understand the significance about being used for what we're made to do. We're going to turn there in a minute, but before we do, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have invited us here today to gather as your people To gather as your people to sing your praises, to acknowledge who you are, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are worthy of our praise, you are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our hearts. So as we gather, God, we are going to open your word. We're going to submit our hearts and our minds to the truth that is found on the pages of your word. Today we acknowledge, we proclaim that your word is truth. And because it is truth, it has everything we need to lead us and guide us on our walk of faith. But God, in order to understand it, we need eyes to see the truth on its pages. So we ask for that. God, we need ears to hear this truth. And then God, we ask humbly, for hearts that are open and fully surrendered, that you might do your work in us and through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are returning to the feet of Jesus, along with his disciples as our Lord is giving us another teaching in the form of a parable. Now, remember, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, mentioned it last week, when Jesus uses a parable, what He's doing is He's telling us a story. He's using a familiar setting with real-life situations with the desire, with the goal to teach us a new lesson. That's a parable. In each of these past two Sundays, the teachings of Jesus have pointed us to one specific thing, and that was preparedness. You and I, according to the Word, are to be prepared for the second coming of our Lord. Today, we are going to look at a familiar parable. It's a parable that many are familiar with. We've read it a number of times. Perhaps if you've been in the church, you've heard it taught. Now, oftentimes, we can walk away from this particular parable and we can say, yeah, that parable is about wise investing. Well, no, that parable is about Security. Trust. That's the point of that parable. Now, here's the truth. The central message of the parable that we're going to turn to in just a moment is actually bigger than those things. It's more significant for your life and mine. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's turn there together. We're going to be reading Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. We're going to pick up something called the Parable of the Talents on verse 14. Verse 14. It is a long text. We're going to read it all at once and then dig into it as we go this morning. Now, as you know, you can follow along behind me, but if you do have your Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead, pull that out, and let's read it along together. Here are the words of Jesus. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money." Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying to the master, You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy. saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. It's an intense story. As I state every Sunday, when I stand on the stage and stand behind this pulpit, one of the things I often emphasize when we read God's Word is the importance of context. The importance of where we've been in the text. So today, it's important that we remember that Jesus began his teaching at the beginning of chapter 24, this is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse, by warning the disciples of the pending destruction of the temple. And that happened a few years later in 70 AD. And then he warned all of those to truly be ready, with hearts fully surrendered, because he said, I am coming back. Now the truth is, When he does return, that will be incredible news. That will be great news for those who have genuine faith through repentance and belief. It will be amazing. But the return of Christ will not be great news for those who are not ready. In fact, it will be brutal. So Jesus emphasizes preparedness on our journey. He gives us that warning to say, spiritually awake in anticipation for His return. Now, that leads us to today's text. That leads us to today's parable, where Jesus has begun to teach His disciples. And as a parable, it's important for us to grab a hold of the idea that every parable typically has three sections Three scenes, you might say. And each has a distinct purpose within the parable. So for us to truly understand what this parable is communicating to us today, to not get caught up in the the small details and the allegory, what we're going to do is we're going to examine each scene. There are three scenes in this, and I think what we'll find is that each scene has significance for your journey and for mine today as we look to the future. So let's get started. Let's begin with scene number one. This is the scene called the distribution of the talents. Let's begin by looking more closely at verse 14. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one, to each according to his abilities. And then the guy went away. Then the guy left. For it will be like a man going on a journey. What is it? Based upon the context of what we've just been reading, the it in this passage speaks of the kingdom of heaven. That's how we begin this section or this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's going on a journey. Might not be a clear, easy thing for us to understand, but let's track together and I think it'll make some sense. Now, as a man goes on this journey, this man has servants, three of those servants to be specific. And the master has invited those servants to him and then he has given them something called talents. Now, what he's not talking about are vocal talents like you're going to find on American Idol. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about athletic talents like Miguel Cabrera and the Tigers. He's not talking about that. What we're talking about in this cultural time period, a talent is a weighted unit of currency. It's a weighted unit of currency. How we refer to talents, that didn't happen until about the 15th century. That's when it became our aptitude or our ability as well as the financial aspect. So as we work through our story today, it's going to be helpful for each of us to be reminded that a talent symbolizes more than money. It captures all of that, but nothing less than money. So keep that in mind as we move forward. So the obvious question is, well, OK, it's worth a lot of money. How much is a talent really worth? Most likely, the amount that is communicated here is an annual salary, is one talent. One talent is captured in this because it is likely copper or silver or gold, and therefore it has a significant value. So when the master invites these people to himself and he gives him five talents, he's giving him five years' wages. It's a lot of money. When he gives them two talents, he's giving them two years' wages. That's a lot of money. When he's giving this third servant one talent, it's still a year's wage. It's a lot of money. Now, that's important for us. Because when we look at this text, what we see is that he gave large sums of monetary value according to each's ability. You see, the master, he knew the servants well. And so he trusted them with a significant amount of resources. And what he desired was that they, what they have been entrusted, they would grow and they would multiply. And then once he returned, he would see... Much. The master desired that, they, that the servants would know and would feel the significance of what they'd been given. They'd been given five. They'd been given two. Even one was a lot because it had significant value. And his desire was that they would respond accordingly. Now today... We're going to see these three scenes, and each scene ends with a call to action. And the first of these three calls is that you and I, that believers, would respond rightly to what God has entrusted to us. That believers would respond rightly with faithfulness to what God has given to us. But let's also recognize what's going on in the story. He gave one guy more. He gave one, another guy a little more. And then he gave another person one talent. They all received talents, but some had more and some had less. We can identify with that, can't we? We can identify with that in our world because some have more. Some have more stuff. Some have more gifting. Some have more abilities than we do. Some have a lot more. Some have less. But we can identify with that aspect in our story. But there's also another truth. Some were given five, some were given two. Perhaps now you look around the room and you say, well, I see that guy's really gifted at that. I'm not. You do not want me to lead worship. I'm just going to be straight up. Eric is gifted in a way that I am not you understand that concept. And yet that does not negate the fact that we've all been entrusted with gifting. We've all been entrusted with abilities. So whatever you've been given, whatever you have been given, God desires that you would care in a significant way to respond in faithfulness. That we would respond rightly. So believer. It begins with a genuine respect for the master. Do you have that? Are you grateful for what he has entrusted to you? Is your heart posture before him one of humility, ready to serve and to advance what he has given you? These are questions that we should all wrestle with. Now, these questions really hit at the the heart of our response. So that leads us, that brings us to the second scene. How are we going to use these talents? How are you and I going to use these talents? Let's return to the story, picking it up at verse 16. It says, he who had received the five talents went at once... He took off. He was immediate. He went out and he began trading them, and he made five talents more. Happened very quickly. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. It doesn't say the speed with which he left, but clearly he had done the work. He was diligent. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground. He said, you've given me this talent Wow, that is so awesome. I'm going to dig a hole and put some dirt over it. He hid his master's money. So let's review that scene. Immediately, the guy with five goes. He begins trading. He begins growing. He begins developing. He begins multiplying what God has entrusted to him. He is diligent with the investment that the master has made in him. Then you get to the guy with two. He too is diligent. God has invested in him. He's entrusted him with something. And so he is is diligent to bring back more for the master. But then we get to the guy with one. That's when things make a dramatic turn. Instead of being diligent, instead of being faithful, instead of being intentional, the master's servant that was given one does virtually nothing. Nothing at all. He takes it and puts it in the ground. He buried the talent, played it safe, did nothing. Now, at this point of the story, I want to remind us that this parable is telling his disciple Jesus is telling his disciples that this is a story about the kingdom of God. The talents in the story are just an illustration for people to understand the significance of the kingdom of God. So what we're really looking at here are three servants and what they've done with the truth of God's kingdom that they have been entrusted with. God uses the monetary value for us to see the significance of what we've been given. The amount that is given to us helps us also recognize what I highlighted just a moment ago. Some people have more, some people have some, some people have very little, but we've all been entrusted with the truth of God's kingdom and the work of God in our lives. And then there's this idea of investing. And it helps you and I and the disciples in the original context understand that God desires movement and expansion and growth in kingdom efforts. That's His heart. That's what He desires to happen, and that gives us the second call on the lives of believers. You and I are called to reinvest for the kingdom of God believers are called to reinvest for the kingdom of God. Now, let me be very clear. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've come to the point where you'd say, I repent of my sin, I believe the gospel, I believe the one who died on the cross for me, then this text is about you. If you are in Christ today, you have a story to share. You are called to tell others about the forgiveness and about the grace and about the mercy and about the redemption that you have in Christ. You are called to serve the Lord with what you have been entrusted. It's a response. What I want to be clear about is this does not earn us favor before God. This is not how we earn it. It is our response to our holy God. That is a big distinction. Because once we have been redeemed, God cares about our response and what we do with that knowledge, what we do with that experience. It's our response. And this is how you and I reinvest in God's kingdom. Now let's move into the third and final scene. Scene number three is the accounting of the talents. Let's pick it up at verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants, he came and he settled accounts with them. So he's been gone a long time. He returns and he's going to settle up with his people. So, what happens? He received the five talents, comes forward. He says, Master, I bring my offering to you. I bring five. You gave me five. I now have ten. I've doubled it. The master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over the little that I gave you, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy, into the joy of your master. I am pleased with you. I am pleased with your efforts. Similar can be said about the second guy. Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. I've doubled it. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Same response. Enter into the joy of the master. You've pleased me as your master then we get to the guy with one talent it's fascinating to me how he begins he doesn't come with a humble posture to offer back what he's been given only double instead what he says is i know you're a hard guy always good to start with an insult I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was filled with fear. And so I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here's what I have. It's really yours. Master's back. He's giving an account. And this is what he offers him. The master finds the guy with five talents and he says, well done. He finds the guy that has doubled it with two talents. He's been given less, and he, he too is pleasing to the, to the master. Again, he gets an affirmation. But the guy with one talent, different story. I knew you were a hard man. Really? That's where you want to go? The response of the master is one of questioning. Oh, you know I do that? Hmm. Simply not true. It is simply not true that I take from others in areas where I have not planted seed. I don't reap what I did not sow. But what it shows us is a heart of bitterness, a heart of anger, a heart of a lack of submission and love for the master. So he gave no effort. He made no advancement. He delivered no growth. Listen to the master's response in verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gathered where no scattered, no seed? Question mark. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, at my return, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent, take that thing that I gave you, and give it to someone else. Give it to the guy with ten. For to everyone who will be... uh, Who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, even that one talent will be taken from him and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. And we read that story and we say, wait a minute, this is the story of Jesus. I thought he was all love. says he's wicked. That's what the master says of the servant. He's wicked. Why wicked? Because he didn't trust the heart of the master. He didn't love the master. That's why he's wicked. And he's also lazy. Lazy? Yeah, he didn't do anything with what he'd been given. He just buried it. Now some of us May have gotten used to what's going on in our culture. We may look around and go, wait a second, Pastor, this sounds incredibly intense. We grew up in a culture where we gave out trophies just for showing up, participation trophies, just handed out like candy. This seems harsh. It isn't. It isn't. The third servant gets what he deserves. Instead of affirmation like the first two servants, the third servant receives condemnation. Instead of being given greater responsibility, he has his his responsibilities taken from him. Instead of receiving joy, he gets the opposite. He gets despair. Friends, if you were in Christ today, If you know God through faith in His Son, you too have a master. His name is King Jesus. And He desires that what He has entrusted to you, that you would be faithful, that you would be diligent in work for His kingdom purposes. Remember, that's what this parable is all about. And this gives us the third call, the third response of the believer today, that we are called to remember the return of the Lord. Believers are called to remember the return of our Lord Jesus. You say, well, how can I do that? I mean, practically speaking, this is nice, it's been a parable, it's great, but how can I respond when we work diligently to serve our Master? When you and I work diligently to serve our Master, when we speak openly and passionately in proclaiming the gospel, the good news that you have experienced for yourself, when you proclaim that, when you speak it, when you live it out, that's how you do the work of faithfulness. When we serve others, when we serve others as though we are serving the needs of of the master. Friends, we don't do this to earn God's love. We do this in response to God's love because we have been entrusted with all of the gifts that come with Christ. Forgiveness and grace and mercy and redemption and restoration. The list goes on and on and on and that's been given to you if you are in Christ today. James Montgomery Boyce writes these words. I think they're powerful. He says, to have done nothing is proof that we don't love Jesus, that we do not belong to Him, and that we have no share in His kingdom. It is to perish forever. If we know this and do nothing with it, that's what Boyce is talking about. Friends, Christianity is an active faith. It is deeper than a set of doctrine, although those are important. It is more powerful than an emotional religious experience, and those too are important. But our faith is one of action. Our faith is one of doing. This is why all believers, all of us, are called to work diligently because we desire to please Him. We strive to bring glory and honor with our day-to-day lives for Him and for His glory. We walk in faithfulness because we desire to seek the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom that Jesus is speaking about because it is the greatest story ever told. Church, Jesus' parable of the talents leaves every single person of faith here today with a practical application. A practical application for today, a practical application for tomorrow, and a practical application for every single day that lies ahead on our faith journey. So the question is this. How will you invest what the Master has entrusted